0: Sorry about last week, Uh, we were going to publish the message to those that would have requested it, and we had several requests, but we had problems with the feed, and uh, our technician couldn't get it uploaded, so I apologize for that. Hopefully this will work this morning, and hopefully you'll get blessed from this word. I want to talk to you this morning about sin and repentance. No, they're not dirty words. There's a dangerous doctrine going around that is is becoming more and more popular. And what I like to call in the compromising churches or churches that are preaching a perverted gospel, a gospel that is different than the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel that we were uh, ordained and required to preach. And when I use the word perverted, I know most people begin to think something of a sexual nature. And it usually does mean that, but in this case, I had to look it up in the dictionary to make sure I was using the correct word. And it also has to do with someone or something that has been altered from its original course, meaning or state, to a distortion or corruption of what was first intended. So I think I'm on solid ground when I call it a perverted gospel. Uh would you say you want me to use it in a sentence? Hold on, let me see here. The dirty, rotten, swindling scalawags were charged with conspiring to pervert or corrupt the course of justice concerning elections. It also means to lead someone away from what is considered right, natural, or acceptable practices or behaviors. You want me to use that in a (laughs) sense? No, I'm just kidding. I won't. In other words, a corrupted gospel, a perverted gospel has been introduced to the church, and people are accepting it by the thousands. I'm amazed at the number of churches that are following this practice. And, And even though the apostle Paul warned us about this happening in Galatians 1, 6 through 9, he said, I am astonished. How many knows for... All the things that the Apostle Paul went through and all the the whippings he endured and the uh, floating around, bobbing around in the ocean three days and three nights and all the attacks of the enemy. And, and here he says, I'm astonished. Don't you know it's hard to astonish a man like that that's been through the things that he went through? And yet he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning To a different gospel. Verse seven says, "Which is really no gospel at all." Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. We were warned about this, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse, as we have already said. So now I say again. If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Twice. For Paul to say that twice, it must be a pretty serious offense. People think there's four gospels, but in actuality, there's only one gospel with one author, and it was expressed or written by four different men. So we have four accounts of the one gospel, but there is only one true gospel. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel that Paul preached. And he said, if anybody's preaching any other kind of gospel, he said, let him be under God's curse. Twice he said that. So it must be important. This counterfeit gospel that's being preached is a gospel that appeals to the sinful, sensuous, pleasure-seeking flesh of man, and today's culture. It's a gospel that adapts itself to the culture that we're living in today rather than adapt itself to the Word of God. And I'm going to try to shed some light on this this morning. I'm not doing this to condemn other churches that are being misled or are being deceived. I'm doing this to prevent you from being misled or being deceived. Because if if this gospel is being preached, you're bound to hear it, at least in portions, sooner or later. And I want you to be aware of it. I want it to just uh, cause a light to go off or a bell ring in your head and say, hold it. Our pastor told us about this. It's a perverted, corrupted gospel, and I'm not having any part in it. That's why I'm preaching it this morning. Amen?" Amen? Hallelujah. Uh, this gospel that is being preached has been modified and made useful for a different purpose, a new purpose. And some people even call it politically correct. Some people call it a seeker-friendly gospel. Uh, But it doesn't make any difference what you call it. It is designed to appeal to man's sinful nature and the pleasures of his flesh. How many knows The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life is what causes every one of us to stumble. It all has to do with flesh, what the flesh wants. Make me feel good. And and political correctness is a term that's used to refer to language that seems intended to give the least amount of offense, especially when you're describing groups of people or identifying groups of people or external markers such as race, gender, culture, political persuasion, or sexual orientation. We have to be careful when we talk about these things. You might offend somebody. You might hurt their feelings. Therefore, don't tell them the truth. Just lie to them so that you don't offend them or hurt their feelings. And you may say, well, what's wrong with not wanting to be offensive? That's a good question. We should never Uh, want to purposely offend anybody. Uh, The Bible teaches us not to be offensive, not to offend somebody. But the problem with being politically correct is that it's not biblically correct. And that's where the difference comes in at. We must preach what's biblically correct, even if it's not politically correct. I'm just, I'm walking a tight wire right now because Facebook got their finger on the button right now. But you see, the truth can be offensive and often is offensive. The preaching of the gospel of Christ Christ is offensive to those that are lost and on their way to hell. It's an offense, but we still have to preach it. Uh, The truth can and often is offensive, but that doesn't mean that we have to stop telling the truth. We might have to start telling it in a different tone or with a little more love mixed in with it, but we cannot stop telling the truth. But, you know, uh, if the gospel doesn't offend, convict, reprove, rebuke, or make people feel uncomfortable, then it's not the true gospel that's being preached. A politically correct, non-offensive gospel doesn't change people's lives. The one and true and only gospel, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one whom Paul preached, is a gospel that will change your life. Lies and deception don't change your life, at least not not for the better. A preacher that preaches a politically correct gospel won't speak about the blood of Christ. He won't speak about the Holy Ghost and speaking in other tongues. He won't speak about holiness repentance, or hell, because all these things offend people. They hurt people's feelings, but it's still the truth. It makes people feel uncomfortable, and we never want to make anybody feel uncomfortable. They might leave, or they might not come at all. And that same preacher won't condemn the sins of the flesh, whether it has to do with the LGBTQ lifestyle or fornication or adultery drinking, lying, stealing, or for that matter, sin in general, because it offends people and it makes them feel uncomfortable. Now, I want you to notice I'm not picking on LGBTQ lifestyles because I listed all those other sins in there, too, and all of those sins are as uh, offensive to God. God's not happy with any of those sins. But the problem with this feel-good gospel is the fact that they're letting people believe that they can continue living in that sin, living in that lifestyle, and it's acceptable by God. And it's not acceptable. LGBTQ lifestyle is no more acceptable, acceptable than the man that goes out and fornicates and, and has sex outside of marriage. It's no It's no different than the man that will go out and cheat on his wife. It's no different than the man that will slip something under his coat in a a, uh, grocery store. It's no different than somebody that will lie or or cheat on their taxes or or anything else. It's all the same to God. It's offensive to God. Sin is offensive to God. I'm not picking on any one particular sin. I'm talking about all sin. And here's the thing about it being acceptable. You know, some classes or cultures or some groups of people say that their sin is acceptable in the eyes of god which means they never have to repent never have to change never have to be forgiven for it but i got news for you i'm not going to mention the group or what type of sin it is but i'll tell you this if i can't fornicate and i can't commit adultery and i can't steal and lie and cheat then you can't do the sin you're doing either If I have to discipline my flesh, you have to discipline your flesh. You're not a special group. You're not privileged in the eyes of God. Your sin is as grievous as my sin. And we all need to repent. And we all need to work on that sin and and live a more righteous life. Amen. There's a big problem when people don't want to hear the truth because it offends them or makes them feel uncomfortable. But it's an even bigger problem when a preacher doesn't preach the truth because it makes him feel uncomfortable or offended. A preacher that won't preach against unrighteousness or unrighteous living, for example, uh, because it's offensive or makes people feel uncomfortable. I'm just going to say that he needs to find another profession. He is in the wrong profession. Get a job driving a truck or something. One of the highlights of this gospel that is being preached. And the reason I'm on this, I've preached along these lines in times past because I've seen it coming a long time ago. Uh, and I'm not the only it wasn't given exclusively to me. A lot of preachers are preaching against this gospel. But it's growing and growing and growing. It's in some mega churches now that said, Come on, just the way you are. God accepts you just the way you are. And that's true. But once you hear the gospel and you confess Jesus Christ as Lord, you're expected to change. And, you know, if you did accept the Lord and you realize what he's done for you, why would you want to sin? Why would you want to do the things that nailed him to the cross, that tied him to that whipping post? Why would you want to do that? That's right. Something is wrong with your salvation if you want to sin after that. I'm not saying you're going to be perfect or have to be perfect. But what I'm saying is when you do miss it, you should feel something. You should want to get it right with God. When you perform an unrighteous act, you should want to be restored to righteousness as soon as you possibly can. You should feel uh, conviction for your sins. But with this feel good gospel, they don't feel conviction for their sins because they said that they're taught that their sin is accepted. They don't even have to repent. They don't even have to ask forgiveness for it. I could name churches. I could name preachers. But I won't. Because that's not my job. That's the Holy Ghost's job to convict them and, and convince them otherwise. But I'm doing this so other people don't get deceived. You need to be able to recognize this gospel when you hear it. Amen. But I'd like to call this gospel... The the doctrine of greasy grace, and, and, in other words, you can live any way you want and still slide into heaven someday, but that's not true. This is a sacred cow It needs to be knocked over this morning. And a lot of a uh, good people, good Christians, are believing this great this greasy grace message because it appeals to their flesh. Yeah, I like doing that. I, didn't, I never wanted to quit that in the beginning. I'm so glad that I've been once forgiven, always forgiven. I don't even have to confess my sins anymore. I don't even have to repent anymore because I'm going to heaven anyway. God knows that I, I can't help myself. But that's, that's just one of the meanings of grace is that it's God's unmerited favor. It's, God's, it's something we don't deserve. It's all of that. But grace is also an empowerment. Grace is an anointing. Grace empowers you not to sin. Not just to cover your sin or forgive your sin. It empowers you not to sin. You can't live any way you want to. And like I said before, why would you want to? You know, one of the problems with this doctrine is that people don't believe they ever have to repent. And that's a terrible place to be. You look at the Old Testament. I know that's the Old Testament. We in the New Testament. But there's examples in the Old Testament for us to learn from. Look at King David. One thing about him. King David was a bad, bad man. Uh, many different times he sinned against the Lord. I mean, he was an adulterer, a murderer, a liar, a cheat. He did all of those things. And yet, when, he, when his sin was pointed out, he hit the ground on his knees and he repented. One thing about David, as wicked as some of the things he did, he was always quick to repent. Yes. He never wanted to be apart from the Lord. That's right. But we're not like that in this, this modern day church. Repentance has become a bad word. Sin has become a bad word. Calling your sin out has is, is become a bad word. Hallelujah. Lord, you said they'd be quiet. I believe you. (laughs) See, you know, uh, the problem with this doctrine is people that get saved think that they don't have to repent for their sins, and they can live the same way they were living before they ever got saved, before they were ever forgiven. And they say, well, you know, when I got saved, my sins were forgiven, and they're all under the blood now. And, And, you know, now part of that is true. Jesus' blood cleanses us from all sin. But, you know, you have to call upon it to do so. It's not an automatic thing. You didn't get saved automatically. You had to call upon the Lord. You had to put yourself under that blood covering. You had to let that blood cleanse you. You had to let that blood work for you. And it had to be at your request, not his or anybody else's. And so it's the same with sin. You know, the devil always mixes a little truth with his lies. Otherwise, it, he won't get most of you to accept it. But you say, well, you know, you see that one part that's true. Yeah, well, the blood does cleanse now. So, yeah, this is probably right. No, it's just partially right. And, and the right part is good, but the wrong part will send you to hell. Another thing about this gospel is that they preach there's no hell. I mean, are you beginning to see what type of people this gospel Uh, appeals to carnally fleshly driven Christians that don't want to change their lives or be held accountable for anything, especially their sins. If you think about it a minute, it's comforting to believe that there's no hell, especially to the person that's on his way there. You know, rather than conform to the word, rather than live a righteous life, I'll just believe there's no hell. I feel better about that now. But they're going to get fooled someday, and the devil's going to laugh at them. I mean, why would Jesus save you and then let you think it's okay to continue living a life of sin that you lived before he saved you? What did he save you from? If you're going to continue living that way, you haven't been saved then. If you think you can continue living the way you live before you're saved, there's no difference between you and the world. And yet, Jesus, as God says to call, he calls us out from among them. He says, uh, sin not and be ye holy, for I am holy. How could you be holy, living the life you were living before you got saved? Amen. Yes. We will be held accountable for our sins. I mean, why would he say it's okay for you to continue Smoking, drinking, taking drugs, lying, stealing, cheating, carousing, fornicating, and going on, going out on your spouse. Why would he lead you to believe that that's okay? What kind of gospel would tell you it's okay to continue doing the things that you did when you were in the world? No gospel. Amen. On top of that, you'll still go to heaven because all of that is covered under grace. Greasy grace. People think because they've accepted Jesus and been forgiven that they can live any way they want. And that's what this gospel promotes, this perverted gospel. And what's scary is they even believe that they no longer have to ask forgiveness for their sins, let alone repent. They believe that once forgiven, I'm always forgiven. He's already forgiven me. That blood covers my today's sin, tomorrow's sin, and the future sin. Yes, again, partially true. That's when you get it under the blood, it's covered. Yeah. But if you think that you don't have to confess it or repent from it and live a righteous life, then you're being deceived. Yeah. That is not under the blood. That's, right. That's far from being under the blood. They, they think that sin doesn't affect you anymore. But James says sin will kill you. Yeah. Eventually it will kill you. It will kill relationships, it will kill marriages, it will kill your finances, it will kill everything in your life, and then eventually kill you physically in a fallen state. And where do you go then for eternity? Mm -hmm. Is it worth it? But here's a question I have. What do we do with the scriptures, and there's a lot of them, that teach us otherwise. What do we do with scriptures like this, for example? 1 John 1, 8 through 10. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. He says, if we say, he's talking to Christians, he's talking to born-again believers. This is in the New Testament. Right. He said, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Yes. You know, that's the worst kind of deception. Because yes. you'll never tell yourself that you're wrong. And the truth is not in us. Verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. The truth ain't in you. The word ain't in you. And you call God a liar. I mean, why would he say we're liars if we say we have no sin? Why, why did he say to confess our sins if we couldn't sin? Why would he say God would forgive our sins if there were no sins to be forgiven? And finally, why would he say he would cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we never did unrighteous things? We would tear that out of the Bible. We don't need that. Not under this new gospel of greasy grace. I mean, it's obvious that we... we can still sin and commit unrighteous acts, or he wouldn't have told us how to remedy them. Uh, They need to be forgiven, they need to be cleansed. Why would he tell us these things if sin and unrighteous living was acceptable by God? We wouldn't need this passage of Scripture. Let me show you where this comes from, this Scripture and this whole concept. In the Old Testament tabernacle and in the temples that were later built, there were different objects used in the process of worship. One of them was a shiny brass laver filled with clean water. And brass always represents judgment. Uh, when you first come into the tabernacle uh, courtyard, you come the first thing you come to was the altar of sacrifice. Uh, and, and you had to sacri- sacrifice something, and that altar was also made of brass, which represents judgment. So your sins were judged at that altar of judgment, and then the sacrifice was made, uh, and without that sacrifice or the acceptance of that sacrifice, and, and that actually represented the cross of Christ. There was no, no more progress into the things of God. There was no more progress into the temple worship. But then the very next thing you come to was a, that big brass, shiny brass laver uh, full of water. And that was designed for you to cleanse yourself when you come in from the world. Yes. Cleanse yourself before you proceed any further in the things of God. Because yes. if you're going to live in the kingdom of God, you have to be clean. Amen. If you're going to operate minister in the kingdom of God, you have to be clean. Yes. And you're going to get dirty in the world. Uh-huh, right. So before you go into the tabernacle proper, whereas all the other uh, pieces of furniture like the golden lampstand and the altar of incense and uh, the table of showbread. And then finally you go beyond that curtain. There's another curtain. You go beyond that and it's the Ark of the Covenant, the very presence of God. Yeah. If you don't offer the sacrifice when you come in, you don't go no further. If you offer the sacrifice and try to pass up the labor, you don't go any further. Yep. Go back to the labor, cleanse yourself now you can go into the tabernacle. You can participate in the table of showbread, uh, live in the light of the golden lampstand, and uh, offer prayers on the altar of incense. And then, after that, you you can go into the very presence of God. That's right. So anyway, we're talking about the laver, and in Exodus thirty eighteen through twenty one, it says, "Thou shalt also make a laver of brass, and his." Not its foot, his foot, also a brass. So this is talking about a personal pronoun. This is representing somebody and it's so profound that they have to use the word his rather than its. Right. So it's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. He says uh, his foot, also a brass to wash withal." And thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, and thou shalt put water therein. For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet thereat. But actually, it's talking about the whole person being washed, because it said in the previous verse to wash with all. And then uh, uh, the feet and the hands just represented you cleansing yourself. For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet thereat. When they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall wash with water that they die not. Mm -hmm. That's serious, isn't it? Yes. Would you pass the labor up? I don't think so. Or when they come near to the altar to minister, to burn offering made by fire unto the Lord. So they shall wash their hands and their feet uh, or wash withal that they die not, and it shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his seed throughout their generations. Now, I have a problem with that because this is the Old Testament. I live in the New Testament, but forever don't stop at the book of Matthew. Forever keeps going into the New Testament. So somewhere in this New Testament, I have to go to that laver, and I have to wash before I can even get close to God. So when Aaron and his sons would minister outside the tabernacle among the people, they would get dirty, and so before they could enter the tabernacle and minister before the Lord, they would have to lean over that shiny brass laver and wash themselves. Now, why was the laver shiny? The altar, uh, the sacrificial altar, uh, wasn't shiny, but this laver had to be shiny. It was shiny so that they could, when they're washing, they could see a reflection of themselves and see what needs to be cleansed or what needs to be washed. I got a spot here. I got a spot here. I need to, you know, they could see the, the dirt. They could see the things that are on them that needed to be cleansed. So James refers to the word as a mirror, does he not? Yes. James 1:23 through 25, yes. he calls the word a mirror. So that shiny laver in the Old Testament represented the word of God, But unlike the reflection they seen only of their outer man, we get to see the outer man and the inner man that when we look into the mirror of the word or the Bible, we get to see everything and we see what needs to be cleansed. And it's not just talking about your outer flesh. It's talking about your soul. Sin goes to the soul. It's affected on the outside through the flesh, but sin goes to the soul. And this word will show me my soul and show me what needs to be cleansed in my soul. 1 John 1.9 is our New Testament labor. And it's how we wash the dirt or the sin off ourselves that we get from some of the things we do outside of the word of God. So it's the washing of water by the word. And I mean, why would we need washing of water by the word if we couldn't get dirty? Ephesians 5, 25 and 6 says, Jesus gave himself for the church that he might sanctify and cleanse it with what? The washing of water by the word. And when you apply the word, it cleanses you. What word? He said, if I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive me my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I apply that to my sins. I apply that to my life and I'm washed By the washing of water by the word. Why? Because if I don't, I can't approach God. I can't pray effectively. I can't fellowship effectively. I can't witness effectively. Why? Because I'm dirty. So he provided us a a means of cleansing. That's our New Testament labor. And, And it is grace that enables us to do that. God's grace enabled us to do that. He knew when we got saved that we were going to mess up again and again and again and again. And so he provided a, a way for us to be cleansed. But if you don't think you ever have to go to that labor because your sin is already under the blood and your sin is accepted by God, you're going to wind up in a bad place when this is all over. I know some people don't like this because it puts an end to the doctrine of not being held accountable for our sins. But you will be held accountable. Greasy grace is being able to sin and live any way I want and still slide into heaven. Wrong. That is not how it works. Jude, one little chapter in the, towards the end of the Bible, right before Revelation. Brother Jude said this in uh, verse 4. I say this because ungodly people, some ungodly pastors, some ungodly ministers have wormed their way into your churches, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. This is the gospel of greasy grace. This is what I'm talking about. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago, for they have denied our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. In order to believe this gospel, you have to deny the Master and the Lord Jesus Christ to do it. You have to totally ignore everything that he did for you, everything that he said. You've cheapened grace. Let me read it in the Amplify. For certain men have crept in stealthily, gaining entrance secretly by a side door. You know, when somebody don't want to come through the front door, there's a problem. When somebody don't want to face you, there's a problem. He says their doom was predicted long ago. ungodly, ungodly, impious, profane persons who pervert the grace, the spiritual blessing and favor of our God into lawlessness and wantonness and immorality and disown and deny our soul master and Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. They put, they perverted this grace so that they can live uh, lawless lives, uh, not wanting f- for anything, everything goes, it's okay, everything is okay, and lies. That's why they so readily accept this gospel, because it tickles their itching ears. It don't step on their toes, it don't make them uncomfortable, and it don't hurt their feelings. And these false pastors and teachers who don't want to preach the truth because they'll lose popularity, or they'll lose a tither, Or they'll lose in numbers or whatever, they've perverted the doctrine of grace. Have a seeker friendly church for what? To fill the seats. Damn if they're saved or not, it don't make any difference. We got to fill the seats. We got programs that have to be run and they require a lot of money. So we need to fill these seats. Those seats are money. That's their attitude. They teach that as long as you kept your spirit, your flesh could do whatever it wanted and grace could cover it. You know, it's like saying, hey, me and you, Lord, we we like this. You know, we won. Not by the way you're living. Remember what Paul said. You are under God's curse, so they better repent. Look what else the great apostle Paul said in Titus chapter 2. Verses 11 and 12, he said, for the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. Hallelujah. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. I won't hear a hallelujah on that one. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. He would not tell us to live righteous lives in a wicked world if we couldn't do it. And if we miss it, we got what? The washing of water by the word. We better get to that labor because if you don't get to the labor, you and God are like this and not like this. I know people don't like this doctrine because it requires that they would have to discipline their flesh and live righteously. And that makes people uncomfortable and it offends a lot of people. Nobody in this room. And I, I have to say I'm sorry, but grace is not an excuse for you to continue to live the way that you've always lived before you ever got saved. There has to be a difference between us and the world. Why would the world want to come in here if we live in just like them? They're already doing all the things that you want to do. That preachers are telling you it's okay for you to do. Smoking, drinking. I, I, there's... Churches with beer bars. There's churches with cigar bars. Now, I'm not saying them those... Having a beer or or smoking a cigar or send you to hell. It it just makes you smell like you've already been there. But it's still wrong in the eyes of the Lord because of what it leads to. But we're to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures, and we should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. And that's totally opposite of the greasy grace doctrine. Yes, it's true that grace saved us. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, for it is a gift of God. There's no doubt about it, grace saved us. But then we're instructed to turn from ungodly living and live sinful pleasures. See, grace does not allow you to sin, grace gives you the power to overcome sin. Amen. But we don't use it like that. We're taking advantage of God's grace. And, and we're using it as greasy grace so that we can go on and cont- continue living ungodly lives and in sinful pleasures. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's look at another passage. This also refutes the doctrine of greasy grace. Romans chapter 6. Never yield. I'm sorry, 613 through 16, and then we'll skip down to 23. It says, neither yield ye your members, your hands, your feet for walking, your hands for doing, neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. We are not to use these instruments for sin. But yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. So we have a choice how to use these instruments. Same thing with money. People think money is is evil. Money is not evil. How you use it can be evil or good. It's loving money that's evil because that leads to greed, and greed leads to a whole host of different things. Verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law but under grace. This is what I'm talking about. Sin won't have dominion if you're operating in grace. If you're operating in the anointing and the power of God and you say, God, I missed it. I am sorry. I repent. Please forgive me. Please restore me. I don't want to be separated from you. And God does exactly what he said. He forgives you. He restores you back to righteousness. And you try again harder this time. But it's the grace of God that keeps you from sinning again. But you got to draw on that grace. God, I'm being tempted right now. You know, I've done this in the past. I'm being pulled in that direction. Help me. Strengthen me. God will hear a prayer like that, and he will answer it. And he'll, he'll empower you to resist it. He'll, he'll give you the grace that you need. Remember, Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. I ain't going to rebuke this uh, demon. I ain't going to rebuke this messenger of Satan that was sent to buffet you. That's your job. You either rebuke him yourself or you overcome come him through my grace. So grace is not just undeserved, unmerited uh, favor from God. Grace is also an empowerment. It is an anointing to help you through these times. Amen. And then he continues talking about, or he says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? There's a question right there, and here's the answer. He said, God forbid. We don't have a right to sin. It's not acceptable to sin. And he even even says, uh, just because you think you're under grace, it's okay to sin. He says, God forbid. And then he says, know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. Who are you yielding yourself to? Amen. It's your choice. It ain't I can't help myself and God knows it. God knows I have needs or he wouldn't have given to me. He knows that I can't do without doing this and that. No, that's a lie from the devil. That's a part of that greasy grace gospel. It's not acceptable. And then he continues talking along these lines for about seven more verses. And then he concludes with this dissertation. In verse 23, he says, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Again, we have a choice, but there is a consequence for sin. It will lead to death. There's a wage that needs to be paid. There is a payday for sin and that wage is death. For the wages of sin is death. Uh, I mean, in order to believe this doctrine of greasy grace, there's an awful lot of scriptures in the Bible like these that we would have to simply tear out or ignore altogether. And we can't do that. We've got to preach the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. The whole gospel. We can't leave anything out, and we can't add anything to it. I mean, why would God forgive our sins but leave us helpless over sin? He wouldn't. Grace not only saves us, but it also gives us the ability to keep from sinning. And this is the part we need to work on. You know, it's like some things require discipline and training. It's like with a little child. You know, you don't have to teach a child to be bad, right? They automatically know how to be bad. You have to teach them how to be good. You don't have to teach a little child how to do wrong. They already know. You have to teach them how to do right. And why do they know how to do wrong? Why do they misbehave? Why do they do the things they do? Because they were born with a sin nature. But when we get born again, and until your little children are at the age of accountability, which is different for everybody, you're responsible for them. You're responsible to teach them, bring them up in the ways of the Lord. But then when they reach the age of accountability, they accept the Lord for themselves That empowers them over that doing wrong and doing unrighteous things. And they learn how to overcome those things, not to submit to them or succumb to them. Jesus said in Luke 12, 32. See, God is gracious. He wants us to enjoy everything that he's done for us. He said in Luke 12, 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The kingdom, and that includes everything in it. That's right. He's not trying to keep us from the kingdom. He wants us to enter it and enjoy everything that's in the kingdom. Yes. Our God is gracious. Yes. And he doesn't have to give us grace. Grace is undeserved. It's unearned. It's unmerited. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. Uh, if you work for someone and he pays you, that's not grace. That's merited because you earned it. But if your boss turns around and gives you a Christmas bonus, something you did not work for, that's grace. Yes, sir. That's something you didn't deserve. That was above and beyond anything that you merited. You couldn't earn a Christmas bonus or it wouldn't be a bonus. That's how the grace of God is. It's given freely and without us having to work for it or earn it. That's why it's so important that we don't take it for granted because we have a tendency, if if something didn't cost us, we don't have too much respect or we don't esteem it too highly for some reason. But if it costs us dearly, we'll esteem it highly and we'll respect it more. That's why you can't just give your kids or grandkids everything, make them work for it. Make them earn something Uh, because if they have an investment in it, it will be more valuable for them. You know, because it's free and unmerited, sometimes pride will keep us from partaking of God's favor because it's cheapened to us. And and, uh, I mean, that's what religion is. You have uh, to earn God's favor by a bunch of rules and regulations and do's and don'ts. And uh, you can't accept anything that you didn't earn. I know a lot of people like that. I used to be one of them. And I, I'm just going to be I'm real honest with you. It's called stinking pride. That's what it is. When you can't accept help from somebody, when you can't uh, accept uh, money from somebody that wants to buy you a tank of gas or help you pay your rent or help you get to the end of the month, that's stinking pride. Yes. And, and uh, you know, like I said years ago, somebody had offered to help me with something or they'd offer me some money or something to help me get through a tough spot. And I said, no, I'm good. I got this, and I'd be lying through my teeth. And, and uh, that was nothing but stinking pride, and that's what religion is like. You know, I have to earn it rather than humble myself and simply receive it or accept it. But here's the bad part about it. I didn't realize it then. I realized it now. I was insulting that person that wanted to help me. That was an insult to that person. And not only that, but in the kingdom of God, that's called... Robbing that person of a blessing. God wants to bless him. God says, help so-and-so. Give me something to bless. And you refused it and you robbed him of his blessing. And insulted him. And religion says you have to dress a certain way, walk a certain way, can't wear makeup, can't have long hair if you're a man, short hair if you're a woman. You have to do certain things and act certain ways and ceremonial things. And you have to pray kneeling down. You can't pray standing or walking. You have to eat this or that. You have to fast so many days a month. And All man-made rules and regulations. We're not bound to these things. If God tells you to fast, you should fast. If God tells you to uh, uh, help somebody, you should help somebody. Do's and don'ts. Jesus said, whom the Son has set free is free indeed. These are the things that Jesus set us free from was religion. Whose case was he always on? The religious leaders. He rebuked them all the time. He said, woe unto you scribes and Pharisees, religious leaders. Uh He hated religion because they, 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 they give you a bunch of rules and regulations and and burdens that you, they couldn't bear themselves and expect you to bear them. Jesus set us free from that. Hallelujah. Yes. And that's not to say you never have to fast again. Uh, just be led. If, God, if you feel a need to fast, fast. It don't change God. It changes you. That's right. God don't need to be changed. You do. Yes. And fasting helps us discipline our, f- our flesh. People are in bondage because of pride. When you think you have to earn everything, that everything has to be merited, then you're in bondage, and you'll have a hard time receiving from God. That's why some people can't receive a healing or a financial blessing. Pride. And, and you know, the same pride you have towards your brother or people in the world, you're going to have that same pride toward God. If you can't, accept uh, help from someone that God sent to you, you won't accept help from God. Amen. No, 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 I got to do something to earn this, you know. And, and nothing wrong with bartering. But you have to initiate it. Once somebody offers you something, that's a gift. You're obligated to, to receive it. Just learn to say thank you. Pray over it. Bless them. Amen. But receive it. Amen. Don't hurt their feelings. Don't insult them. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I have to finish up here. People say mercy and grace are basically the same. They're both God's unearned, undeserved, unmerited kindness and favor. And to a certain extent, that's true. But it would help us if we knew the difference between grace and mercy. Mercy is getting what you don't deserve which kind of what it's like, what grace is like. But grace is getting something that goes way beyond what you deserve. Like the example I gave before at the boss and the Christmas bonus. But I'll give you another example. Our grandkids, Ethan and Tyler, came over yesterday to help us decorate for Christmas. Now, you know, what you do, big deal. It is a big deal at our house. We've got a lot of decorating to do. And I hate it. So, their help is invaluable to me. Now, we didn't have to pay them for doing it because Lord knows we feed us, they owe us. But their mamma, Pastor Ed, offered them 25 bucks a piece. That's mercy. She didn't have to offer them anything. But when it was all said and done, because they did a whole lot of my work that wasn't originally intended, I told Pastor Ed to pay him 50 bucks a piece. That's grace, (laughs) because they were expecting 25 and got 50, so that's grace, and that's the way God is. You know, uh, grace is God's operational power based on his character and nature. He's a gracious God by nature. He's a loving God by nature, and you can't really operate in faith or hope unless you understand grace, because the things we ask for in prayer, we really don't deserve. Amen. Now, there are certain things that uh, he's promised us, you know, uh, seek me first and my way of doing and being right or the kingdom of God and all these things to be added to you. I don't have to pray about those things. He said uh, as long as I'm seeking him and putting him first, he'll just add those things to me. But there's a lot of things we pray for and we ask for that we don't deserve. And he don't have to give us anything in prayer. But he does. Why? Because of grace. Amen. Amen. Uh, and you know, if if without grace, it's hard to even operate in faith. Uh, because we're asking for things we don't deserve, and that stinking pride comes in and say, "Ah, oh, I shouldn't even be asking for this. I don't deserve this." You know, I, I I'll just drive that little uh, what do they call it? Little car, smart car. Because I don't deserve a Cadillac, you know, and that's false pride that's uh, just it's just ignorant. If you really want something above and beyond your needs, I mean that little car will meet your needs, and that's all God promised you. but we want something beyond that. God said He'll give us the desires of our heart. Where does that come from? Grace, His love for us. Amen. 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 Ephesians uh, chapter two verse eight says, remember For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is a gift of God. We didn't get what we deserved, and we got what we didn't deserve. Deserve. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. I mean, why would we want to take advantage of that grace and and think that you can live an unrighteous life and not be accountable for sin, that God has accepted your sin, and you can live any way you want. Why would we even want to live like that? and expect grace to cover it. That's taking advantage of God's grace. That's an insult to God. Uh, Here's a better question, you know. uh, Not only why would we want to live an unrighteous life, considering everything that Jesus did for us, uh, all the suffering he did, the dying on the cross, leaving his Father in heaven, going into hell, everything that he did for us, why would we want to live an unrighteous life? I'm telling you, the church, for the most part, the reason that the church universal is powerless in this culture, in this day and age, is because of a lack of repentance. God can't do what he wants to do through the church because there's so much unrepentant sin. There's so many people who think that they're all right and they're in good standing with God when they're not. And I would say this, first get the sin out of your life. And then we got to get it out of the church. Amen. Your sin, my sin, our sin is never acceptable in God's eyes. That's right. Never, for no reason, under any circumstances. That's right. If you miss it, you better be on your knees asking God to forgive you. You better get a heart like David and get that stuff out of your heart because you'll be sucked into that. There's such a strong deception not only in the earth, but in the church, for these churches to accept things like that. And I'm not going to name any, but these are your churches that are still closed. Why? Because they conform to the culture that they're living in. I mean, there's no reason for them to be closed. Take this church. I can, I can guarantee you there's more people sitting in a smaller room than this, called a waiting room at an abortion clinic on Monday morning than there are in this building. And if that's safe, this is safe. And if the Attorney General Barr said that it's unconstitutional to close a church, then I'm going to stay open. Fact check me on that. I'm going to stay open. That's our right. How can you, how can you have a church that has any kind of power in prayer if it's not assembling. I could go on Facebook and appeal for you guys to pray, and half of you wouldn't get the message. But you're getting it here this morning. It's time for the church and everybody. And I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking about you, the church. It's time for the church to repent and start living righteous. If you want anything from God, you better start living Righteous. If you want to see this country turn around, it's going to be through righteous living. Yeah. We already know what unrighteous living does. We already know what evil's going to do. It's time for the righteous to rise up. Yeah. But you ain't righteous until you've been to the cross, and then you've made a trip to the labor. That's, right. That's what makes you righteous. Amen. Righteousness is a gift. Yes. It's not something you could earn. Jesus gave us that as a gift. But in order for you to operate in it, you've got to uh, accept him and his work. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for your goodness, your mercy, and especially your grace. Hallelujah. Thank you so much for grace, Lord, because without grace, we wouldn't even be saved this morning. But God, your grace reached down and saved us. And your grace is also reaching down today and empowering us to live righteous lives before you. So, God, we repent before you right now in Jesus' mighty name, including myself. We repent, and we ask you to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we stand at the laver, the washing of water by the word, 1 John 1 and 9, and we are doing exactly like you requested us to do. You said this is an ordinance forever, and so we come to this laver. And God, if I miss it tonight, I'll come to the labor again tonight. If I miss it tomorrow, I'm coming to the labor again tomorrow. You said I could do that. You provided it for us. I'm not going to take advantage of your grace. I'm not going to slide around on greasy grace. There's only one gospel I will heed to, and that is the one and only true gospel of Jesus Christ, the same gospel that he preached and the same gospel that Paul preached. No other gospel is going to... Influence me, influence me or enter my heart. I thank you that we're strong against deception. I thank you, Lord, that we can resist. We can recognize it because we have discernment. And as soon as we hear that greasy grace theory of any kind, we will automatically reject it in Jesus' name. Thank you and praise you for it. Heal our land, O God. Heal this land, not only of COVID, but of corruption and unrighteousness and evil. God, let the church rise up and drive this evil far from this land in Jesus' name. We thank you and we praise you for it, Lord. Heal our our brothers and sisters. Heal our bodies today, Lord. Drive this COVID out in Jesus' name. Let your healing power enter into each and every one. Drive sickness and disease out in Jesus' name. Thank you and praise you for it. Amen and amen. Thank you, Facebook family, for joining us today. Uh, We will see you this Wednesday. God bless. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember Jesus is Lord.